Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. We specialize in author interviews, audiobook, and podcast production, as well as the prestigious Firebird Book Awards. We also feature our fun and short podcast that allows authors to record their own writing tip to share on our very own Boom Bang Oh My Gosh Wow podcast, which you will find along with the rest of our offerings at speakuptalkradio.com. And right now, I'm so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. She is Deborah Greenhut, and the winning book is titled The Hoarder's Wife. A bit about Deborah at age eight, she announced her ambition to become an author. And her mother replied, Become a teacher instead to make a living. Crestfallen 10 year old Deborah perfected her skill with a spangled baton to twirl solo at her school's mascot. A one time concert pianist in training, Deborah longed to trade up for a conductor's baton, but that career path seemed closed to women in the 1960s. After earning her BA in English from Middlebury College, then a PhD from Rutgers University, she pursued her original dream by becoming a writer, a teacher, and later a dean. The Hoarder's Wife is her first novel, and you can find out more about Deborah at her website, DeborahGreenhut.com. So much more to say, so much more to talk about. So welcome to the network, Deborah. Thank you very much, Pat. It's great to be here talking with you today. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way. I was looking forward to it, and congratulations on the book win. Thank you again. That's always exciting. The book, The Hoarder's Wife, a fictionalized version of your truth. Give us a little peek inside the book. The book chronicles a 35-year marriage to a man who was very much loved by his wife, but who had uh, such a number of mental disorders and hoarding, I guess, was one of the loudest parts of that story. Um, and that is something that, that I lived the experience of as well. well. The book takes a different career path uh, for the main character, Grace Berg, uh, than my own life did because she is a concert musician hoping to become a conductor, um, actually had become something of a conductor, uh, so I, I tried to uh, incorporate music more as a uh, thematic way for Grace to express herself. So there are character changes and or people changes and uh, incident changes, that things that did not happen in my life. Uh, but the arc of what the hoarding did to the marriage and the family is similar as it is in most hoarder stories. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a point where you thought that, you would write this as a memoir versus a fictionalized version? Well, I actually wrote a memoir for myself first. Um, unfortunately, my husband did commit suicide. And uh, while I had thought, I just want to leave all of our story behind, when this happened some years after we were divorced, I thought, no, I have to go back and I have to look at it all and see what were my patterns, what was I doing during this time. I felt like I had devoted so much time to trying to make things right for him and us that I lost myself in the process. So writing the memoir was very helpful to me to figure out the kinds of things I did that I might have done differently. And I think writing the novel was a way of uh, having that experience of how would it be if I did some things differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So writing it probably was a cathartic experience for you just to pull those pieces that were painful and put them out there. 
Very much so. And writing it twice the way I did, mm-hmm. I think, gave me a, a double value for that. So I, I feel uh, like a much more intact person today than I did before I started to write the book. For sure. I bet it must have been um, quite a roller coaster ride to relive that as you wrote it. Yes, it was. Uh, we um, you know, had so many unexpected <laughs> twists and turns in our lives, and that uh, toward the end, and then after after he died, we just went through so many experiences that we had to that again that we had to think about over and over to re-examine our behavior and and what had happened. And there was a great deal of sadness, of course, around all of that, and uh, real heartbreak because I think uh, my children and I all would have loved our family to stay together, and yet there were certain things about the lifestyle that he wanted that made that very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also kind of refreshing and a bit unusual for for the perspective of the hoarder's wife. Thank you very much for mentioning that. I think because there's so much media attention to hoarding and it's so sensationalized that people are focused on that story. And as I've watched a couple of episodes of the hoarder's shows, I've noticed that there's usually a person in the background who's been trying to help the hoarder or mm-hmm. stay out of the way of the hoarder, and their story doesn't really get told. So uh, it was very important to me to write from the uh, hoarder's wife's perspective to try to advance a little bit that there's a whole family or a whole community of friends who were trying to help this person and failing at it miserably because um, for the longest time, none of us really understood what hoarding was about, and we thought you could just stop. We thought we could help you to just stop, and that's not true. Maybe let's talk a little bit about the concept of hoarding or maybe the disorder of it. I often learned or believed that the disorder is actually associated with perfectionism that's kind of tied to the fear of maybe making that wrong decision of, should I get rid of this? Can I get rid of this? What is the thought behind it? Well, I'm not sure that we actually know for sure what the whole cause is, but that is what you described is very much a part of it, a certain kind of OCD uh, perfectionism. Um, I think earlier on, and certainly when I was living through this with my husband, the method that people used to repair the hoarder was cognitive behavioral therapy. And for some people, that's very helpful. And In fact, uh, many therapists claim a 70% success rate, which is pretty good. But uh, we are now learning that trauma, childhood trauma in particular, is very much a part of the hoarder's uh, complex of, of issues and solutions. So uh, hoarding is perhaps more of an anxiety disorder uh, that people purchase or buy or collect things in order to soothe themselves. So if someone else tries to throw away your, your well, it's like a security blanket. If someone tries to throw away your belonging, it's very offensive and upsetting. And that's where the um, idea of perfectionism came in uh, as a kind of defense mechanism. So I hope I'm explaining this yeah. uh, clearly. But we, we don't know exactly what it is. But right now there are a lot more people investigating trauma as the real cause of this particular behavior which is often associated with ADHD and OCD and a number of other disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's complicated, and it probably requires a whole battery of techniques to resolve because there's a lot going on there. Uh, they think there may be as many as 19 million hoarders in America, and that means 
at least 40 or 50 million people are being affected by it. So it's a big problem, and yet it looks like one small thing to most of us. Wow. It's almost like the mess begins in the mind. Yes. That would be a good way of describing it. And if, if you, you've read any of the, the, there are a few books on hoarders, per se. Um, there was a famous pair, The Collier Brothers in New York, and uh, E.L. Doctorow actually wrote a novel about them. And they essentially died because they couldn't get out of the house. One oh. brother was trying to leave in order to get help or food. I, I've forgotten which. And uh, he collapsed, and then the other bro- brother died of starvation and neglect. Oh. Uh, so the fire department, I guess, found them, and it's, it's a very famous New York kind of story, mm-hmm. um, and just terrifying what the consequences can be. Wow, to physically not even be able to get in or out of the home. Yes, yeah. yes, and, and I did find in my own house the doors were obstructed finally, and uh, when we went back into the house, um, it was very difficult to move around. After I left, things deteriorated even further. And uh, the pathways were blocked. It wasn't that things were so tall, but there was so much debris on the floors that it was difficult to open a window or to get to a window to open it or, or use any particular door. Wow, wow. It's really, really intense. And as you mentioned, those those numbers, it's clearly a problem. Yes, yes. And uh, fire departments will tell you that. And uh, places of business, uh, very often a person extends this into their offices. And uh, it's a really difficult problem because there isn't a clear way to resolve it. And some people are, they have uh, identified five different levels of hoarding, the uh, OCD organization. Earlier on, it's possible sometimes to work with someone to at least keep it at bay at work. They, they work on some solutions for that. But often that escalates the home hoarding. So uh, it, it's just pushing the problem, mm-hmm. taking the problem down the road. Yeah, it's like squeezing a balloon. You know, you can make it thin at one end and it blows up at the other end. Very, very fascinating. What about the word? I, I almost have a hard time saying it. Is it almost seems offensive to use the word hoarder? Is there? Um, is it offensive to use the word hoarder? I feel that way too, and I think that's part of the for me anyway. I can, I don't know if I can speak for everyone who is is living in this situation. I found it difficult to acknowledge it to myself because the word seems so distressing. Yes. You know, no, we're not hoarders here would be my internal reaction uh, to hearing that word. And, I mean, I, I give my kids a lot of credit, and they also were exposed to an education that I didn't expect. Apparently, they were learning about it at school as they were watching our home deteriorate. And I learned this later, um, and I, I didn't realize how conscious they were of how how twisted this all was in our house. I mean, we we were pretty high functioning people, so when we went out, we had a facade that everything was just fine at home. And for the longest time, people could still visit, and they noticed we had a lot of clutter. But as things got worse over time, people couldn't come into our house. And then the word started to take on that deeply offensive meaning to me. And I think I was partly in denial about what was happening around me. Oh, my. I'm thinking like obsessive collectors or something, it just just so it just using the word because it feels like it's offensive or not polite. Yeah, it, it is. It sounds deeply offensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, words can only mean the 
meanings that we give to them. But for some reason, of course, that word has collected a lot of, yeah. of uh, debris around it, emotional yes. debris around it. Oh, so it is hard. That's so true. Emotional debris. Absolutely. <laughs> what are the pathways of communication? So say in your situation, how is communication received? How did he receive conversations about this to say, hey, what are we doing here and, and how can we fix this? Well, there's a often a huge self-esteem problem that may not be visible to others, but that travels, I think, with, with the hoarding. Uh, because of all that anxiety, the person doesn't feel very good about themselves. And... Um, Sometimes they project onto you all of the the um, uh, unpleasant feelings they have about themselves. I found, um, for example, my my husband decided one day to put up a bulletin board, and because of where he wanted to put it, I asked him to move it to a different wall. And instead of doing that, he hung it over a trash collection place in our house. And he said, "Because that's what you think of me." Oh, and then. I, I was just appalled because it was simply that it was a kind of crowded wall and and I wanted to keep the family bulletin board where we tracked our events in a very visible place and he was moving things around. And I thought, this is so horrifying to me that you think I think that. You know, and and then I had nowhere to go. He he would never discuss it and he proudly hung it over the uh, recycling bins that we had in our laundry room mm-hmm. and that's where it stayed and he would shut down conversations where he felt challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was a very high-functioning person in his professional life. So all of this just seemed shocking to me that at home he seemed to, you know, he carried his, his unhappy self into our doorway and, and we were always battling, you know, how to work around that. So he was very difficult to communicate with. Mm. Looking back, now that you've had plenty of time to do that and wrote these books, were there any signs ahead of time before the two of you, say, got married or lived together that might have indicated that this was going to happen or was currently maybe being stuffed away? Yes, I, I did try to look at, at patterns in myself as I, as I was writing. and One of the things that struck me was that I ignored a lot of things that someone else might not have. For example... Um, he gave me a choice when I met him of, of uh, uh, going out on our first date in a car or on his motorcycle. And I, I picked the car just to be on the safe side. <laughs> and he said he had warned me that it was kind of, of a uh, cluttered car. And sure enough, when he arrived, it was very cluttered. And unfortunately, because, uh, well, I, I was in graduate school just finishing up at the time and he had a Ph.D., I was used to paper clutter. Uh, writing my own dissertation, so I had paper everywhere, so <laughs> I didn't think too much of it. Um, but then we went um, on another occasion to his apartment, and I noticed he had to clean up quite a bit in order for us to uh, to go inside. So those kinds of signs were there, except they were so much a part of my world as a graduate student that mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't really make anything of that. Um, and over time, though, he he required that I give him things of mine and they became part of his collection of things or he would ask me if he could borrow something but then he took it over in such a way that I wasn't going to get it back but that was all very slow and subtle mm-hmm. and until I actually wrote all these things down I, I hadn't thought about this being a pattern it might be a closet or it might be a book of mine that he liked he just 
assumed into his his personal collection anything he wanted and he also told me to that I had too many things so I ha- I had to remove things from my areas of the house and cut down on what I consumed or or purchased oh fascinating this is fascinating because I know people who have family members that they're dealing with and they're just at their wit's end, they don't know how to um, deal with this. Was therapy ever part of your process with him? Yes, he did. Uh, um, he was about 55, and we were able to get all these diagnoses. He was desperate for an answer at that point, and so was I. And I, I just didn't think I could go on living with the mess around me and that there was a lot of chaos being caused because he was losing mail or hiding it, so business problems were were coming up that we really didn't need because we we were financially well off enough to take care of what we were doing, but uh, things were getting lost. So we went for diagnoses, and they gave us like an alphabet soup of things that were probably wrong, starting with ADHD. And at that time, the hoarding was considered a symptom of it, so they didn't see it as a priority to work on that because they felt that if they cleared up some of the other issues with either medication or uh, behavioral therapy, that the hoarding would probably slow down. And unfortunately, he got hooked on the idea that he had been disabled all of his life, which was true, um, and that the world owed him something. So he became very angry, and that just eclipsed the value of much of the therapeutic uh, uh, methods that he was trying to use. So he became his own worst enemy, um, and unfortunately, we ha- he, he terminated the ther- therapy at a certain point, mm-hmm. and after that, he was left with his anger. Mm-hmm. So wow. um, it is possible to do something, but I always encourage people not to wait until they can't get through the door. See, that's what's rough. If there's not a way to diagnose it, possibilities could be so many other things, like you say, OCD, ADHD. All of those things have to be dealt with in their own way. And if you lump it all together, how can you come up with a diagnosis to actually help someone? Where are they at now with this, with diagnosis? Um, I think people are taking hoarding a lot more seriously. And um, in line with something we talked about earlier, I also want to mention that there are some uh, psychiatrists and researchers who believe that uh, children who've grown up in homes where parents have fled a disaster, um, such as the Holocaust, number one, there's been a study on, on Holocaust survivors, and that some people have feel there's certain evidence that says that the DNA of a survivor of that kind of tragedy is rewired and this hoarding characteristic is passed along to children from having had to survive by, mm-hmm. you know, just squirreling everything that you could find and taking that with you. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a spectrum of, of um, opinions about it, but I think at this point where we are is that we know that some kind of trauma is connected with the uh, compulsion to hoard. Right. And I think that people are looking at hoarding disorder. Is now, it is now an official disorder of its own um, as something that should, be, should not be ignored. So whether there is ADHD or hoarding, I guess there's some decision-making about which one, if, if you're going to try to do one first, which mm-hmm. one to pick. 
Um, but probably the worst one is the one to start with, I think, because that's probably impacting a family situation. The right, most. right, right. But that's my opinion. So I'm not a doctor. No, I know. But you've lived through it and experienced kind of Trump's uh, what you might study. I was thinking of what we've been through and what young people have been through these last few years. I wonder if just the stress and the trauma of going through this pandemic, wearing masks and being fearful as young people, um, if that's going to result in an uptick in this kind of behavior. Could be. I'm sure there are going to be consequences of children not being able to play or do the things that children do for for a couple of years uh, there w- and always living in the shadow of you might get sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly all of those will have some consequences. Uh, I can't say if it's going to be hoarding sure. or not, but it is an anxiety reliever, so it, it may well be. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Let's talk about your cover because I love the cover, all those squibbles and scribbles. It's just kind of says it all, doesn't it? It does. Uh, we had a lot of uh, fascinating discussions about the cover, and I was connected with a wonderful designer named Asha Hossein, and uh she gave me two very different designs, and one was stacks of rubber bands in a photograph, which certainly said hoarding to everyone who looked at it, but I loved the cover that she eventually presented, the squiggles you talked about, because what this book was for me at first was lots of notes collected over 20 or 30 years that had no pattern in them at first, mm-hmm. and that's what it feels like to live in a hoarder house. There are just all these trails of things all over, and they don't feel connected. Mm-hmm. And um, I, she just she got that from a very brief conversation with me, and I was just astounded when I saw it. I said, "No, that's the cover. Mm-hmm. This is the one." The only thing I, I did suggest to her, because we we talked very much about how the wife loved the husband, so I suggested that she add the heart to it after she had finished the design, and mm-hmm. she said, "I see what you're saying. Yeah." yeah. No, it was a, it's a perfect cover. You couldn't have, I don't think you could have found anything better to say it all on a cover. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like the color scheme because um, you think of primary colors and these are a little off yes. from primary colors, but they, they do reflect that, that there are three strands going there, yep. um, which I also liked a lot. No, I, I think it was perfect. Excellent. So what kind of feedback have you received from the book? What have you been hearing from readers? Well, I got a very nice notice in Booklist, uh, which uh, selects books for libraries, and they said that this was definitely one to pick up uh, as a, if you enjoyed literary fiction as a debut novel. So I'm, I'm thrilled by that. And uh, readers, people are uh, people I know have been calling me to, A, say they didn't realize how much was going on in our house, and also to say how how much they understood about the character by the end of the book, that I had written her in such a way that they could really empathize with the situation. So I, I was very uh, touched by that and also happy because that, that was my goal, that this wife would become visible. Yep. Well, I think you accomplished what you set out to do. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So what's next? Are you working on anything new? Well, because of all the PR that I need to do, I haven't (laughs) had as much time to write. Um, But I'm thinking probably a love story, and I'm not going to say any more 
than than that right now um, because it's still gelling. Um, I do have a couple of uh, memoir ideas that I might explore, and they too might become novels. We'll see. Uh, I feel like the people who are living and affected by some of these things probably don't want to be directly represented, but sure. uh, I was a teacher for a long time, so I have, have many notebooks full of stories about teaching, and uh, perhaps they would do some good for people in the future when they think about starting that career. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I can imagine as a teacher, you have all kinds of uh, experiences that, as you say, can help others. So you've got a lot to think about. I do. I do. And I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad you're at a peaceful, neat and tidy place in your life. (laughs) Thank you. So anything we missed that you wanted to highlight today? No, I think I think we hit the important themes, and I especially appreciate talking a bit about why I wrote the book uh, to uh, bring forward the role of the the family in the situation. So that was that was my number one. Thank you. Good, good. Before we finally end here, anything that you want people to know about hoarding, or any advice, or any kind of a tip, um, either either for the person who is actually afflicted with this obsessive collecting or the family members? Any Anything you want to share? I, I think it's really important to recognize if you, if you feel that you are hoarding or if your spouse has commented on it, you might give that a matter a little bit of thought and understand that if this escalates, as it probably will, that this will end in a tragedy for you and your family and your friends. And if there's some way to avoid that by trying to get help. You can't do it alone. But by trying to get help, that would be a greater good for you in the long run. Our family was terribly hurt by all of this, and I would like to see that not happen to anyone ever again. Is there any kind of a resource? Is there any association or organization? Yes, many have formed under the OCD and ADHD websites. There is a a website called recoveryvillage.com, and they have some resources there and suggestions as well. There are children of hoarders or children of adult, huh? uh, adult children of hoarders uh, types of websites okay. and uh, many forums on Facebook or other uh, chat forums. And I would just check to make sure that there aren't people lurking who are going to be mean about it. Yes. Most of those have really good moderation so that you can express yourself without feeling that someone is going to jump on you. Um, in a way that's not pleasant. So, I, But I would check them out before you try to uh, affiliate with them or say something yourself. But there are many people lurking on those forums, uh, both for good or for not good. Mm-hmm. So um, recognize you, you have a bigger audience than you realize when you post something in a chat room. Absolutely, for sure. All righty. Well, if you would then share any contact information where folks can find out more about you, purchase your books. Sure. My book is available anywhere. If you Google The Hoarder's Wife on Amazon.com, you can get the ISBN numbers that you might need to order it in case you prefer to use a different website. Uh, I always say support your indie bookseller. It's also available through my publisher, which is Woodhall Press in Connecticut. They're an indie publisher, and they use Bookshop um, as their uh, base uh, for ordering. You can also uh, go to my website, which is DeborahGreenhut.com, and I have an intake form there. So if you'd like to communicate with me, that is probably the best way to reach me directly. All righty. 
thank you for being so honest and open and and with the ability to write this book and and get it out and share with people because if it is such a big problem as you presented to us today i did not know that then people need to become aware of this so we're talking with deborah s greenhut the book is titled the hoarder's wife and her website is deborahgreenhut.com deborah thank you i've been so looking forward to our time together because i wanted to learn more about this so thank you and i look forward to your future works Thank you very much for sharing this opportunity with me, Pat. It's been great to talk with you today.